All right, everybody, welcome to Whatevery episode six. This week we're talking about the Flash finale, which, uh, spoilers, was excellent. And uh, probably a little bit of Stargate SG-1. And we're going to throw in a few other, you know, tidbits here and there as well. So, I'm Eddie. This is Matt. Hello. Follow us at Whatevery uh, on Twitter. Like us on Facebook, uh, Whatevery Show. Sorry, at Whatevery Show on Twitter. Whatevery Show on Facebook. And send your questions, feedback, and otherwise to questions at whatevery.co. All right. So, flash finale. Flash finale. Per, uh, we're we're going to start the show off on a good note this week. Seriously. Probably one of the um, best ways to end the one of the best first seasons of TV I think I can recall. So, um, we're going to get into some spoilers here in, in a few. What I want to start out by saying, though, is something that I mentioned to Eddie before we went on the air, and that is I left the season finale a bigger fan than I was throughout the season, and it takes a lot out of a, out of a finale of a show to do that for me. So, uh, props to everybody involved in the, in the writing and the acting in that show. It, it, the finale was absolutely fantastic so if you don't want to hear spoilers it's a good place to, to hit the pause button until you go watch it yep so all right so everybody should be fairly well caught up but as we know right now we're battling reverse flash um he's actually as the show opens they he's been captured that happened in the in the previous episode so he's actually in in one of the holding cells yeah so uh, first off, one of the things I loved about this episode was that there were a ton of uh, little references and things like that. Like, this is, this is where really a show that embraces being a comic book show in the best ways. Um, so the two biggest ones I saw uh, that I really, really loved is um, during the course of the show, uh, Barry gets to go back in time to the night where his mother is killed, where he meets other Barry, and other Barry sort of waves him off when he has the opportunity to save Nora, which to me, I don't know if you got this, but I, I watched that and I was picturing that as other Barry having gone through Flashpoint and saying, no, 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 do, don't do that. It, trust me, you don't want to go down that road, um, which, which to me looked pretty brilliant. I, I don't know if I immediately jumped to Flashpoint when I saw it, but I did definitely, I mean, you realize at that particular moment that there's a lot more going on here. Yeah, so that was uh, definitely one of the loops, too, that this threw me, threw me for. Like, I thought I had a pretty good idea of how they were going to go with the finale, and I was completely wrong. So, for starters, when it became pretty clear that Barry was going back in time to the night of uh, um, Nora's death, I assumed we were going the Flashpoint route. Like, I don't know if anybody else did, but I, I just immediately assumed, like, I, I turned to my wife and said, well, they're doing Flashpoint, I cannot believe I'm seeing them do Flashpoint on TV. To which she said, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> but anyway, uh, I expected they were going to do Flashpoint um, because, you know, there's a lot of material and there's very interesting ways that they could do this, I think, with the CW. I think really the problem would be that, you know, they would have to do three or four episodes of of uh, the Flash, you know, in sort of the, the Flashpoint universe where everything's all fucked up, which means that they would have had to do the same thing with Arrow, which... Would have been awesome, but I don't know that that, that um, even with the collaboration they do have going on, that they could have gone that far with it. Man, I don't know if they could have done Flashpoint. And the only reason I say that is because one of the key, 
like the linchpin to Flashpoint is the Batman and see, but I I thought of that they could and because Arrow is such an analog to um, Batman in in the CW verse, I assume that they would just replace uh, um, Batman for Arrow. And now this may be the other reason they didn't do it because you would have to give up Ollie. There would be essentially no Ollie for you know however many episodes, and it'd be instead Ollie's dad. Like I right. saw that as they could very easily uh, you know flashback, and instead of um, Ollie uh, living on the boat and his dad killing himself, I thought very easily they could have done that the other way around. Yeah, and that, that I guess you know you might be right. They could have they could have done something like that, but I'm. I'm kind of glad they didn't. I mean, just just the the purist in me feels as though I think it'd be a little too presumptuous uh, to do it without the the, the J, uh, JL proper. Yeah, man. And part of my problem with the Green Lantern movie that came out a few years back was that it really tried to bite off a lot more than it could chew with one movie. And yeah. I kind of feel like jumping straight into Flashpoint at the end of season one of the Flash would be doing that same thing. Yeah, that's a pretty good point. Um, Flat Flashpoint is probably one of the bigger stories in DC, and and especially being so recent, um, that that would probably have been hard to pull off. So anyway, uh, that's a lot about Flashpoint when they definitely did not do <laughs> Flashpoint, um, but I definitely got that vibe from it. And then the other uh, really big reference that I never thought I would see in this show. Uh, the Jay Garrick helmet. Yeah, Jay Garrick helmet coming out of the portal. That was yeah. one of the coolest things I've seen. And even cooler than that, it scared the living shit yep. out of the reverse flash. When the when Wells was like, all right, time to go. Like I was like, oh, that, that, that would be so awesome. And so here's what I'm kind of hoping for season two is that we get to see... Um, you know, we, we have no idea what Barry's jumping into right now. Um... um of course, again, spoilers, you've got to have already seen the show, but uh, at the end we're left with uh, the Flash sort of speeding up towards Black Hole, which could be any number of things. Um, also, uh, real quick, just for you guys that may be fans of the show but have not read uh, comic books or are familiar with, with the the Flash particular... The, the mythos. Yeah, yeah, the mythos of the Flash. Jay Garrick was the original Flash from the Golden Age uh, DC years. He... Barry Allen, believe it or not, was not the first Flash. Although Jay Garrick's Flash was quite different in in appearance, he had a metal helmet and blue pants and red yeah. shirt. Um, and ironically, got his powers because he was smoking and knocked over a whole bunch of lab equipment and chemicals. Yeah. <laughs> um, Don't smoke, kids. So anyway, Fla- it, you're right. I actually was reading the the wiki on this because I wasn't super familiar with Jay Garrick. Um, I, I knew of his, his existence, but I had to go read and refresh myself a little bit on it. But uh, Jake Garrick was the first Flash, and he fell out of favor, um, so they kind of stopped doing that. And Barry was sort of to modernize the Flash. Um, I think that was you know early Silver Age when they did that. But eventually, of course, uh, nothing in comics stays dead, so Jake Garrick came back. And uh, turned into you know pretty much a badass in the Flash universe. So part of the Justice Society actually with yeah. uh, the original Green Lantern, Alan Scott as well. Thought it was pretty cool that they went the, that they included Jay Garrick because I I honestly thought that they would we would never see or hear Jay Garrick even mention of it on the Flash 
but this kind of leads me to ideas about what they could be doing for season two. Um, you know, that could be Barry leaping in through, you know, another timeline, and now we get to meet Jay Garrick, and that would be awesome because, you know, there's all kinds of ways they could go with that. And that could be, you know, good for Barry, too, because he gets to learn all the tricks um, or more tricks from, from Jay. Pre, Pre-Flashpoint, and I think even pre-Zero Hour Flash, uh, there's, there's a lot of... A lot of speedsters tied to the Speed Force. Jay Garrick, uh, Barry Allen, Wally West, uh, Impulse, uh, who's Bart Allen from the future. Mm-hmm. And Wally's kids, actually. Uh, Wally had two two kids, a um, son and a daughter, also tied to the Speed Force. In fact, they actually learned how to sync their Speed Force powers together so Wally could actually essentially tether them to him and take them wherever he went when he was running, mm-hmm. uh, which is actually kind of cool. Anyway, um, off a little off track as, as far as the episode is concerned. I thought it was really, really cool how they explored the idea. Um, you know, it's kind of cliche to have the villain who's captured be like, oh, well, I can give you exactly what you want. You just have to help me do this. We, you know, we've, we've done this a hundred times on a hundred different shows. The deal that he offered Barry, though, was something that, that we didn't, or at least I didn't think that we'd see this first season, which is, I'll give you the chance to go save your mom. Yeah. And... I was, I was talking to my wife about this as we were watching the show. I wouldn't have done it in the first place. Because for Barry, things were... Barry is who he is because of how he was raised with Joe, Iris, and everything else that's kind of happened in between. Um, and to go back and change history changes all of that. You know, maybe he doesn't get the opportunity to even get to know Iris like he got to know her and whatnot. And so... That was kind of a, that would have been a hard decision to make. I don't think I probably would have made the same decision Barry made. But then, at the end of the day, at least a version of Barry also felt that way. Yeah, and and called him off. So um, that part, that part, I thought was was really cool. Um, man, there's just so much to this episode. I mean, it didn't. First off, that was something they addressed a little in the show. Barry sort of realized, and they talk about this in the show um, that if. Uh, Barry were to prevent Nora's death, then he would lose out on all that interaction with uh, Joe and Iris and, you know, all the people that he's met in his life since becoming the Flash. And there was the very real possibility that he never would have become the Flash um, had Nora lived. And so I, I liked the way they addressed that in the show. And you could see Barry was really torn about yeah. that decision. Uh, like, they did a really good job, I thought, I thought of uh, um, sort of playing up the circumstances and the scales of uh you know the good and the bad of that decision so yeah i I was kind of glad to see that he didn't necessarily go through with it and i'm not sure i thought i thought some of that definitely was you know other barry waving him off a little bit and i thought some of it was probably barry deciding you know things have happened and it sucks and i I wish my mom were still here but also he didn't want to give up all of the things that uh he had, you know, had from this life you know like joe and i especially so yeah yeah and honestly for me, I really want to find out what this other Barry knew. You know what I mean? Because like oh, you, yeah. you talked about how maybe he'd been through Flashpoint and all that kind of stuff. And obviously they didn't go that direction. But obviously there's something there that he knew, you know, just don't do it. Yeah. Like he'd been there before and was expecting to see himself come there to save his mom. And took the time specifically to be like, don't do it. Yeah. So... 
that's, I mean, obviously I want to see us go there at some point. I don't think we're probably going to start out season two like that. In fact, I think season two is probably going to start out um, with a big, uh, big push for their new show. Uh, it's Legends, Defender, yeah. Leg- Legends. Legends of Tomorrow. That one, and honestly, I'm looking forward to the to that show too. We saw the 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 shout out to Hot Girl. Yeah, I was gonna ask if you'd seen Hot Girl. Hot Girl was definitely in the finale, although no speaking lines. She's just kind of gawking. Yep, you just see her uh, when the black holes appearing over over Central City. So yeah, and then you get the other call call out to, um, when Wells says something like, uh, you know, Rip Hunter would be proud or something like that. Yeah, about the construction of the time machine. So. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, those are, those are really, really cool moments in the show and just, but I think they're just, I mean, to me, they're salt and pepper to something that was already really good in the first place. Oh, definitely. One of the reasons that was good though is, um, Eddie Thawne. Let's talk a little bit about Eddie. Yeah. Um, (laughs) this is another thing that I really did not see coming. Like I, I really thought they could have gone down a much darker path with Eddie, um, sort of leading to the the reverse flash in, in uh, uh, Wells' hatred for Barry, or quasi-hatred for Barry. They tone that down a little bit. In, um... Wells does talk a lot about how teaching Barry how to use his powers and things like that. Yeah. He grew to appreciate him and, and almost love him right? Uh, like his son. So, yeah, that's... that's you kind of... I I don't I definitely don't want this to be the last of Wells or Reverse Flash or Eobard Thon as he as he should be called. Yeah. Um. But man, because I, I really want to see like why he is just as much of a bastard as he really is. Like if he really did truly come to have those feelings for Barry and even Cisco and everything else, like why is he still a dick? Yeah. Seriously. Um. There, there must be, you know, and I want to see them expand on that in the Flash at some point, like how he gets so, uh, I mean, I guess hate filled about all of this that after twenty years, you know, he still harbors such resentment towards towards all of them. So, uh, and yeah, and honestly, here's the thing: if you've watched it, you you know, at this point, for all intents and purposes, uh, Reverse Flash is dead. Um, and that came about as he was about ready to kill Barry and jump in the time machine and, and take off because Barry came back after he didn't save his mom specifically to stop him from from escaping back into the future. Oh, coolest punch ever, by the way. Yeah, 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 right through the glass. Yep, yep. Um, um, plus another thing that I just I was not I did not see coming. So yeah, there was a lot like. I obsessively read theories and things like that about the show, and so, like I said, I, I had a very, what I thought was a very clear picture of what they were going to do in the, the episode, um, and it, it pretty much all turned on its head um, in a good way. Like, I like that the show still surprises me, even though, um, you know, there's so much theorizing about it, um, and that was definitely one. So, the the um, Reverse Flash ceases to exist, as we were saying, and we mentioned Eddie Thon, uh, you know, Eddie Thon taking himself out to prevent Reverse Flash. Out of nowhere, shooting himself in the chest. Yeah, see, that was another thing that I definitely did not see coming. I, th- I thought they were going to go a completely different direction with that. And I thought, if anything, um, there would be some tragedy, you know, directly towards Eddie. You know, like, maybe maybe I thought that there was going to be some resentment over Barry taking Iris or something like that. I thought that, that might have gotten messier. And then that's how we get some of the hatred, um, you know, through the Thon family line you know for barry 
Yeah, I, but, and I think that's entirely possible that it could have gone that direction, and I'm I'm glad it didn't. And and here's the thing, guys. And if if you have not seen the episode and you're listening to this anyway, obviously a lot of it's spoiled. But do yourselves a favor and go back and listen to the dialogue between Eddie and Iris throughout this episode, because it's some of the best dialogue that he's delivered throughout the entire series. And I'm not saying he did he didn't have good dialogue before, but man. It was good. Like there's just the rapport between those two, um, and the reason why nobody saw it coming when he shot himself is because about midway through the act, before he actually went, brought her lunch, and they were talking about the first day they met, and it really seemed like after the previous episode where he basically told her to get lost, that yeah. he was really trying to make amends, and they were gonna they were going somewhere as a couple, and. Yeah. Not not the case, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, huge loop there. Um, so here's another thing. Uh, one of the things that we've gotten sort of glimpsed in at, throughout the season is the the, pic, the paper. Um, the uh, Flash Vanishes in Crisis, you know, written by Iris West Allen. Uh, do you think that there was anything to that in this episode? You know, because at the end of the episode, we're seeing the Flash hurtle towards a, you know, giant, what I assume is probably going to be a wormhole or something like that. So I thought that would be an interesting play if they sort of change history that way. Like now it's Iris West writing current day because this is another thing. Like it's sped up. The timeline is sped up and, the, and uh, Wells mentions that he wanted to get home faster. So he, you know, set the stage for the flash earlier than the traditional, you know, mythos. So I thought it'd be interesting if they, they played that a little in the show too, where, you know, we've seen the supposed future and and that's now changed as a result of all of the changes from the timeline there. They could do all sorts of stuff like that. I mean, the Flash vanishes uh, vanishes in Crisis. Obviously, uh, if you're a comic book fan, you know that's a throwback to Crisis on Infinite Earths. Um, yep. It took place in 1985, and at that point in time, Barry Allen, um, for all intents and purposes, what we thought died. Um, and that's when Wally West took the mantle of the Flash, and he was the Flash clear up until... 2010, I believe, is when Josh or Josh Jeff Johns um, brought him back in the Flash Rebirth series, and there was a period of time where Wally and, and Barry coexisted as the Flash. Uh, they were differentiated by slightly different costumes. I think Wally's a little bit bigger, um, and then Flashpoint changed all that. Um, yeah. Flashpoint led us into the New Fifty Two, where we're at now, and at this point, Wally is a juvenile delinquent. Um, Iris is nephew and uh they have a hard time keeping him out of juvie so yeah (laughs) the crisis thing though i mean we don't know what that headline means obviously i think it was an homage to crisis on infiniters but we don't know that it necessarily was referring directly to an an event of that level it could have just been a particular crisis see i i assume that we were seeing a glimpse and i thought that was another you know just brilliant nod in the flash uh show as well it was clearly a reference to uh infinite earths but i'm wondering if they're going to twist that a little bit so it fits the show mythos a little bit better um and and so now we see you know the flash vanish vanish in this crisis which is you know a black hole ready to swallow the earth of course then i don't know how that resolves itself and what they do for season two especially when it could just as easily be um sort of a lead into legends of tomorrow um that was another thing I, i heard or read posited um is that that this is going to reset 
the time stream has gotten so screwed up that that was the reason why the black hole occurred anyway. This is sort of just trying to eat this timeline. And so I'm, I'm curious if they're going to have to go back and redo parts of the timeline or change things so that something like that happens. But again, that's just all theory. Yeah, um, that's going to be interesting too because the timeline, where where did it become screwed up? Yeah. Was it when Barry went back or jumped in? There's lots of places. Because Barry, Barry did change the timeline minutely throughout the course of the, of the series. It could have been Eobard Thawne. See, that was the... Now, this is where we get... And we were just talking about Back to the Future earlier, but um, there's an obvious paradox with um, Eddie Thawne killing himself and that stopping the reverse flash, which is that that would have... Uh, if Eddie Thawne kills himself, reverse flash never happens. Wells is never born... Or rather, Eobard Thon's never born, never gets pissed off, never goes back in time to the you know eighties, kills Nora, doesn't cause the doesn't accident cause... with the collider that creates the Flash. Right. So it could um, the the predominant theory was sort of we've created a paradox and now the universe is going to try to eat itself to fix it, and that's why we still got the singularity, even though it shouldn't have happened based on what they were saying in the show. I'm going to go with kind of a a blend between the infinite universe temporal mechanics and maybe even somewhat of a Terminator type situation um, that we really haven't visited since Judgment Day. But, you know, when he's lowering himself into the pit of lava because he has to destroy himself because even though they've theoretically stopped Skynet from happening, yeah, what's happened has happened and nothing changes at that point. But I think in this case, it's probably more along the lines of, of there's an infinite number of possibilities, and these timelines don't necessarily cease to exist once one event changes. They just exist in a parallel universe to the new reality that's been created. Yeah. Which, you know, lends to the infinite Earths theory. But I'm interested in where they go from here, because there's lots of places that they could go. Um, and I think I said in an earlier episode that uh, I wasn't sure how they're going to follow up with uh, such a great first season, especially when we get one of the biggest, you know, Flash enemies with the reverse Flash. Um, but I, I think I'm eating my words now because I can see all over possibilities. And I think there's got to be something to the whole parallel universe and Infinite Earths thing because I think Jake Garrick was clearly a nod in that direction. Like, Yeah. The, the, the helmet coming through definitely was a, a nod that Jake Garrick exists in some reality. So I'm wondering if, if that's not what we're going to see a little bit of next season is maybe subtle differences based on what's happened here. So. Smallville uh, Smallville did a, uh, a two-episode arc involving the Justice Society, and that was actually one of my favorite moments in Smallville. It was season nine, so you probably haven't gotten there. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, you know, they talked about Alan Scott and Jay Garrick and stuff like that. They they weren't actually in the show, although they did bring in Hawkman. That's cool. And the, because those those moments were some of my favorite moments, that particular episode um, or, or a couple of episodes were actually written by Jeff Johns, I believe. And if, if you don't know who Jeff Johns is, I've, I've probably mentioned this on the show before, but he's essentially taken DC and rewritten a lot of the bigger moments in DC to kind of resurrect some characters that were not doing well or, or had been done away with completely during the 90s. 
He's directly responsible for how Jordan being Green Lantern again. He's directly responsible for uh, Barry Allen being the Flash again. Uh, these were all comic book characters that he read as a kid and really enjoyed. And in the 90s and, and mid-80s, they kind of eliminated some of those characters, and he wanted to... Yeah. I'll to go even a step further out. and say that's not really all Jeff Jones is responsible for, clearly. Um, he's got some pretty other uh, big other stories to his name. Oh, the memory escapes me which ones, but... Infinite uh, Crisis, which was the follow-up to Crisis on Infinite Earths. He wrote that. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Jones is huge. I he's, say he was, he's responsible for a couple of the bigger Batman books and a couple of the bigger Superman books that I re- recall reading, too. Um, but I, I know I'm going to get it wrong, so... Yeah. I don't know that he... I think he did some stuff with Superman. I don't know that he's written Batman. Um, Green Lantern was his focus for a super, super long time. After he brought back uh, Hal Jordan, he wrote all of the Green Lantern books that led up to Flashpoint, and then the first, I think, 20 or 25 of the Green Lantern books from the New 52. So he was on that on that book specifically for a really long time. That's cool. Yeah, um, Jeff Jones. Jeff Jones is pretty good, uh, and a lot of the stories he's responsible for definitely are some of the bigger stories in DC. Oh, and he also wrote, um, I think, the entire series of uh, Justice League in the New Fifty Two. Um, and I think at least the first half of that series was drawn by Jim Lee. So the Jeff Johns Jim Lee combination was fantastic. Yeah, I actually really liked, um, especially I've, I've only read really kind of the first, say, twenty books of the new Fifty Two Justice League, but it it's pretty good. So yeah, no, I, I, that that was a phenomenal series. Um, anyway, so overall, I mean, if I had to give the the Flash finale a, a like a rating in, in number of stars, I think I give this one six out of five. Yeah. It was good. It was really that good. I, I like I said, I really, really liked the, the episode. Um, and I really liked that. I was still surprised by the episode. Um, in hindsight, it's not anything earth shattering and it's not something that you probably couldn't have predicted, but, um, it's definitely not the direction I thought they would go. And I'm happy, I'm happy about that. And of course now, um, we've got so much possibility coming in the next season. And I just, I really, really continue to love how The Flash embraces um, the fact that it's a comic book. Like, I, I, I love how it embraces those things and how it incorporates it into the show because um, it's just so good the way they do it. They manage to execute that whole thing really, really well without it coming off super, super cheesy. So Agreed. I, I'm going to say this. If, if, you, if I was forced to find something wrong with the episode, I would say that I would not have left it off on a cliffhanger. Um, and the only reason for that is because we've already been, we've already been asked to buy into the new series. Yeah. And so, and we know he's a part of that as well. So the, the leaving it on a cliffhanger note, we know that he comes out of everything. Okay. Obviously, there's still some uncertainties as far as, you know, are there casualties as related to the, um, you know, the phenomenon that's happening above Central City and things like that. Um, so there could still be some major changes there, but I don't think I probably would have done the, the, the cliffhanger angle. I might have might have done things a little bit differently just in terms of, of how that particular episode ended um, with him maybe dealing with something that happened while he was fixing that or something, and then we don't yeah. know what the results of that are until... See, I, I loved and hated the cliffhanger. A, loved because, first of yes, that's a semi-valid point, but I also don't really think that 
generally speaking, the stakes are ever hot that high. You, you know, like we know the Flash isn't going to die. He's like, the hero of the show. Yeah, the, I mean, he's coming back. It doesn't matter that we've seen Legends of Tomorrow. It's not like going to be like, well, season one's over. Flash died. Uh, the end. Um, Would that be a bitch? Yeah, <laughs> just like, hey, take that, assholes. Uh, but no, uh, season two opens with Wally West. See now that that could be amazingly interesting, interesting, but I, I think Grant Gustin would probably be a little pissed off about that. Um, but anyway, I, we know we know that he's going to make it. What pissed me off about the cliffhanger was, uh, oh, actually, I should mention too that I, I loved that shot. Um, some of the best CG work in the series, which you know it's a fairly low bar because it's it's a, a you know third rate networks CG budget, um, which granted I'm sure they're getting a lot more of these days. Uh, given how good the Flash has been and how how much attention it's brought to the CW, but um, really good final sequence there. Uh, but yeah, the the thing that pisses me off about the cliffhanger is the thing that pisses me off about any good cliffhanger, especially in TV, is because now you look at you look at you get done, you sort of mentally do the, and they'll be right back after the break. No, that's forty two minutes, so I just have to wait. Check the clock. 137 days to find out what happens. Fuck. You know, that's... I don't mind that so much. Um, in fact, one of the things we're going to talk about next um, is actually a, a series that's long since done, but um, Eddie and I have both kind of gone back and started revisiting it. Um, and that's Stargate SG-1. But um, as far as the Flash cliffhanger goes, um, and the reason I brought up Stargate is because every season finale of Stargate SG-1 through the first, I don't know, at least five seasons, ended on a cliffhanger. Yeah. That, so. <laughs> that's actually one of the things I sort of appreciate a little bit, is when they sort of close off a season cleanly now, because it's definitely a bit of a cliche in TV to end on a cliffhanger, so you get back that, uh, hopefully you get back some of that, the viewership, you know, in, in three months when they're back on the air. But. Here's what I don't like about cliffhangers in TV series, um, season finales, and that is presumably... And that's not so much the case with some of the cable shows that are out these days, but a lot of a lot of series will try and move the timeline along with the audience. So, you know, the season opening of the second year is a year after the season opening of, of the first year. And with a cliffhanger, you can't really do that. With a cliffhanger, you're you're essentially starting things out either the same day or the next day yeah. after, and so you're you're putting yourself progressively more behind. Now you can start the sh- the season with with the ending or the the reprise from the cliffhanger and then the next episode the second episode of the season starts out 6 months later or yeah. whatever uh, i mean we obviously don't know what's what, what's going to happen with the flash but you know they don't really do that um sons of anarchy was on for 7 years and i think it actually only took place over 4 years real time walking dead's been on for 5 years now and i think it's probably only been on like real time for like a year and a half Two years, maybe. Uh, I think we might be pushing two or three now with The Walking Dead. But uh, you know, my, my my point is is that those those shows don't necessarily try and and keep up with the audience, so that's not really a big problem there. But with your typical episodic TV shows, you have that very obvious lack of timeline progression, and they're 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 calling in current events that are happening now for us as an audience but in reality because of the way they they're doing they're dealing with the cliffhangers they're 
six months or a year behind. That's a little bit of a problem with Game of Thrones, um, because there are so many child actors on Game of Thrones, and you can see the child actors age pretty significantly between seasons. And so uh, there's really no time jumping in Game of Thrones. So you go from season one to season two, and all of a sudden, you know, Bran especially is way older. Um, that they run into trouble with that sometime, but they kind of ran into trouble like, with that with the Harry Potter series too. Because oh, those, definitely those kids all. I mean, the fact that there was three, sometimes four years between movies, those it, kids aged quite a bit. Yeah, I'm not even sure they went that long. But the problem is, is that they're they're supposed to take or they take place over much less time in the books. And I think the kids are probably all 13 or 14 by the time the series is done. Um, you know, forgetting the um, you know, post credit scene essentially with uh grown-up characters, but that that does happen in, um, definitely with the movies, because the kids all grow up, and I think they're probably 18 by the time the series is finished. So. Well, they're supposed to be 17. Yeah. Um, you're 11 when you go to Hogwarts your first year, and then it's... Oh, so they... So it's each year progressively. So that's not that ridiculous, then. No, they but they age quite a bit between the beginning and the end. Um, a, yeah. a lot more. I mean, I think they're in their 20s by the time the series actually is over with in there. And then some characters, like the... The kid who played Draco Malfoy was already older than the rest of them when the series started. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Like Thirty-five. Yeah. All right. So enough, enough, enough Potter speak. We're gonna go grab another beer. We've got uh, Luna, the Canine Crusader, podcasting with us tonight. So yeah, if you hear scuffling around in the background, it's it's probably just a big dog. She's she's stoic, but when she has her opinions, man. <laughs> she's. She's been nodding in agreement silently while we've talked about the Flash. Yep, she dug the she dug the finale too. Uh, so Stargate SG One. Yeah, um, man. Um, so have you th- watched the whole series before? Uh, yes, I might have missed a few episodes in the later seasons, but I have seen all of, all of it for the most part, um, including all the additional movies and stuff like that that they did after the series wrapped. So, all right, so let's. Um, let's rewind just a few minutes and, and let's revisit some things that we've talked about in the past. Number one, we, we were going to do a weekly um, update on Eddie's foray into the Buffyverse. And Which we may come back to. We, we, we probably will come back to it. The problem is is that Eddie came over last week to record some podcasts and um, he caught me watching reruns of Stargate SG-1 on Amazon Prime. Yep. And he was like, holy shit. I haven't seen this since they took it off of Netflix. So, um, Stargate SG One is one of those shows that even if you've seen it before, there's lots of really, really good episodes, and it's it's kind of fun to go back and rewatch the series every once in a while. Um, it really is like uh, there's a lot of good things that I like about SG One, um, namely that like it's a almost like a brilliant Star Trek series. Like they get the same sorts of exploration and sort of plots and episodes that you can come up with in Star Trek, um, you know, because they can visit all these different worlds and, and that lends itself to interesting things. Um, that SG-1 now especially just becomes an uh, amazingly rewatchable series because there's a sort of comforting thing to that, especially when you've got a 10 season series because you get so comfortable and at home with the characters. So, um, you know, I, I started rewatching with season one and I haven't seen any of it and it's got to be it's got to be years now, because um, even when it was on Netflix, I didn't really do a proper rewatch. It was just watching, you know, a few of my favorite episodes here and there. But right. um, going back and rewatching it now, uh, uh, it, it's it's nice. Like it feels a lot like uh, putting on comfy shoes or something. 
All right, so I'm going to revisit something that you said um, just a little bit ago about Stargate SG-1 um, almost being like a really good Star Trek. Here's, here's what I really like about it. With Star Trek, whether it's the original series or Next Generation or whatever, your aliens all still are mostly bipedal, human-ish characters. Essentially, uh, yes. They do, in one of the series, God, it must be... In in next yeah it's next generation they do have a quasi explanation for that in one of the episodes quasi yeah yeah um, what I like about SG one um, in contrast to that though is you're not really running into a ton of aliens there are some aliens that are out there definitely um, but they run into mostly humans on these other planets uh, with the explanation being that they've been transplanted from Earth to these yeah. different planets through the Stargate by alien beings. Yeah. They've essentially seeded the galaxy with other humans from Earth, which, you know, is great for budgetary reasons for the show, but um, it also leads to some interesting premises there. Um, and some of the times it, it just leads to stupid things like uh, the first couple of episodes in, in the first season, you have the Children of the Gods episode, um, or really two episodes in most uh, releases um, where we sort of meet the team and understand how the Stargate works and uh, get Teal'c on board and set up the big bad for the season, um, or actually I think for a few seasons, which is Apophis. Um, yeah, he's you can't get rid of Apophis for a while. Yeah, and even then when you get rid of him, I don't think you actually get rid of him. No, he's kind of a dick. Yeah. But uh, it sort of sets up the series, and in the next episode you have them, um, I think think that was the one where they eventually go back basically to the mongols like they go back and and visit what essentially a mongolese culture um and some of that stuff is a leaves me a little bit uh incredulous you know like it doesn't make any sense that they're really running into the mongols you know for lots of different reasons but still it, it it's kind of fun to watch anyway you know which is you know the same thing can be said like i said there's a lot of parallels to star trek and the same is true for Star Trek. Like, there's a lot of these things that really make no logical sense. Like, why do they keep running into so many bipedal aliens? Presumably, lots of other different types of life would have evolved. But um. Yeah. So, um, for those of you who don't know, Stargate SG-1 was a TV series that started out on Showtime. Uh, Showtime ran it for... I believe five seasons. I could be completely wrong. Um, it may not have been that many seasons, but I think it was five no, seasons. I think you're. I think you're pretty close. Um, plus or minus one for sure. I'm. I'm pretty sure it was around the first half of the, the show. And and then the Sci-Fi Channel actually bought the rights to the show um, and ran it for the rest of the the rest of the ten seasons. So yeah, um, I think it was it was pretty close to a fifty fifty split. Yeah, and they actually managed to... I'm not sure why that was. Like, I don't know if it wasn't doing well on Showtime, but Stargate actually made it one of its bigger properties for a while. You know, especially, you know, launching Stargate Atlantis and then the uh, failed Stargate universe. Which, man, why that show failed, I don't know, because it was actually really good. Ah, uh, see, no, I, I disagree. I did not like that show, but that's another... That's a whole other episode, or maybe we'll come back to it. But we, we, We're going to have to come back to it eventually, because I don't think you're going to be able to get through SG-1 and then not watch Atlantis... Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure I will end up rewatching Atlantis because I actually Atlantis I really like too. Um, and, and this is another thing that I because it sort of embraces its own silliness, um, which is another thing that I really like about SG One. Like, there's definitely a few different episodes, and one of my favorites 
of course, of them is Window of Opportunity, which is a season four episode where they um, essentially get the Groundhog Day future, which again, not uber serious uh, um, plot wise, but super fun to watch. And that that's just the kind of episode that I loved um, or one of the kinds of episodes that I love from shows like this. Uh, much that or the the wormhole extreme one is another just wormhole extreme absolutely awesome episode and that one that one had the little dude in it that was actually an alien right yeah yeah he was he was he was in a few episodes and he was really funny that actually sort of again embraces its own silliness which is just great so it's got that uh nice mixture of camp and seriousness and then you know sort of not really forgetting that it's it's become a bit of a silly thing uh, so, so for any of you guys out there that haven't seen the show, um, definitely do it. If you have Amazon Prime, it's 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 an instant um, video, like Prime eligible for free streaming, uh, all ten seasons. Um, now we're not, and we're not wrapping up by any means our, our discussion quite yet. But uh, I wanted to to kind of touch on the history of Stargate real quick. There was a movie starring Kurt Russell, um, and the show is actually directly based off of that movie. However. Couple key differences. Um, Colonel O'Neill in the movie was uh, suicidal. He he was not a very happy individual. Um, his kid had recently shot himself with his weapon, um, and he had no intention of coming back from the mission through the Stargate alive in any way, shape, or form. Um, and in the SG One show, the character of Colonel O'Neill, um, instead of being played by Kurt Russell, is actually played by um, Richard Dean Anderson. MacGyver. Also known as MacGyver. Angus MacGyver to his friends. Yeah. No, his friends don't call him Angus. They call him Mac or MacGyver. Anyway. um, And you're not really kind of sure when you you first meet him how things are going to start out because he is a little bit gruff in the first episode. Um, And over time, he develops into this really kind of charming dude. Um, yeah, he's, and, he's got a fun, uh, sarcasm it, or, or I guess jocularity. Like he's definitely one of my favorite characters like he, of all time. He kind of, he kind of breaks the fourth wall a little bit too, a couple times too, because, uh, there's, and this is not, I, I can't remember what season it's in, but there's a couple episodes where he tells him it's O'Neill with two L's. Yeah. Um, and in the movie O'Neill was actually only spelled with one L. Yeah. So there's there's a, a few of those little things where he they actually did it right in the first episode in Children of the Gods. Um, they're talking about how they um, have set up the Stargate and they've sort of uh, it, actually I think it's Amanda Tapping, Colonel Carter, Major Carter at this point probably Captain Captain. You're right. She's Captain, Captain Carter at the beginning says, uh, "Yeah, we we don't think this is how it's supposed to, but we MacGyvered it to work." And I almost expected the entire cast to just look, look directly at the camera, but they did not. Yeah, much. No, I mean, it, it's a show that, as much as it's a really good testament to what a good sci-fi series can be, it doesn't take itself too seriously. No, and that's funny because in the early episodes, uh, I almost got the feeling, especially in Children of the Gods, that they were going to try to go way too serious with it. Um, and, and they don't, they don't, and I'm sure that lightens up a little bit as we go on. Oh, yeah. It definitely does, because they sort of grow into their characters, and, and uh, Those two episodes that you called out in specific, I mean, are, are a testament to the, the, the lightness of, of that. Yeah. And there's, there's a few, 
there's a few really good episodes. I mean, there's a lot of really good episodes, honestly, but there's a few that really, really stand out um, as the series goes on. There's one, in, I think it's season eight, that, that specifically is about Tilk. Yeah. And I think he even directed the episode um, where it's it's almost like this alternate reality where instead of being the big alien dude, he's a firefighter with a crew and... Like there's there's really like no science fiction in, involved in the show through most of it. It's See, now this is another reason why I got to rewatch because I I very 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 vaguely re- recall any of that at all. Yeah, but that so. again, you know, that's part of the fun of SG One is that they can they can do stuff like that, and you sort of get these you know completely different experiences, or you can get these completely different experiences every week. Oh, another thing you mentioned, you know, it's on Amazon Prime, and you can go rewatch it now. Where one of my complaints was that uh, Buffy feels pretty dated. I don't think that's as true for SG-1. And I don't know if maybe it's because I've got more rose-colored glasses going back to something I'm familiar to. But um, it feels, you know, pretty rewatchable um, based on the first few. And, and admittedly, the first few episodes are pretty rough. And there are certainly things in the first few few episodes that are, are kind of weaker by today's standards one of the things that's you know quite different from today's TV is that almost everything on TV today is very serialized as in like for example Game of Thrones is another show that I keep mentioning um, you can't watch you know some random episode from season two or season three and enjoy the show you know having just watched that random episode the only thing you would be getting out of that probably is a whole bunch of questions who's that guy what are they doing there? Why does that look important? Blah, 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 blah. No. Star, Star Trek um, is an example of a show that is the opposite of that. Um, the original series, Next Generation, almost the entire series, were actually very episodic. Every episode could be taken individually. You didn't necessarily have to watch them yep. in order. Um, that kind of changed about halfway through Deep Space Nine, where it became, where, you know, where they went well, to they, war. They actually even mentioned that a little bit um, about uh, the next generation, there being some overall arcs, and that's I think pretty true of Stargate SG One too. There are definitely some overall arcs in the show. Um, you know, like I mentioned, Children of the Gods sets up Apophis as the big bad, but you don't see or hear any mention. Like you literally can watch these two episodes, um, you know, immediately proceed or uh, preceding those uh, Children of the Gods, and. You know, you, you wouldn't have to know that or have any sort of pre pre knowledge of that, other than the very basic premise of you know, starting let's what travel through space too. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, man. And it's it's one of those shows that, um, as much as I like the overall story and the overall theme, you don't really have to see every episode in order to to pick up and where. I mean, unless you come in at season nine or ten. Yeah, because if you watch a couple episodes, you know from from season one or two, and then all of a sudden you see season nine or ten, and you're like, "Hey, who the hell is that guy? Where's Where's Colonel O'Neill?" Yeah. <laughs> then you might have a problem. Um, also, the villain, um, the, the the big the big bad of the overall series changes. Where they start getting into the Ori, right? Yeah, season nine and ten are all the Ori. That's uh, as opposed to the Gold. Yeah, because they start out with the Gold. Um, but even then, they move on from that, I think, earlier. Like, by season five or six, it's like, well, we kind of just keep kicking their asses. They're not that big of a threat anymore. And so they, no. I think they introduced the replicators. Um, replicators play a very small part in this, um, The Maybe It's I'm the ghoul for eight seasons. Because you, you go from Apophis, 
But then you move on to Anubis through a good portion of the series. That's true. And then after Anubis is Ball. Oh no, no, okay, you're right. So yeah. they've got they've got the gold for eight solid seasons, and then they move straight into the Ori from there. The replicators are more of a factor in in um, Atlantis because you go from uh, the Wraith for the first two seasons, and then seasons three and four are almost all replicators. Yeah, the Wraith were a little bit too. Uh... I like the Wraith, honestly. I, I like the Wraith just fine, but I think they were a little bit too much of a parallel to the Gwaul and um, Stargate SG-1. Like, I think that, that probably was a little too obvious. Yeah. We're, we're getting ahead of ourselves, though. Um, yeah. Let's go back a tick. So so far, um, Season 1, Stargate SG-1, Eddie has made it through. Uh, Children of the Gods was actually a two-part uh, series, um, or or episode. And then he, he watched uh, The Enemy Within... Emancipation and the Broken Divide. Um, so, Children of the Gods, like Eddie said, is is mostly to set up Apophis as the as the main villain. And sort of set up a little while. some of the basic mythos of the show, of course. Um, yeah, give you a plausible explanation for how they get around and things like that. And and it's it's kind of a callback to the movie. They they have to revisit. They it does directly tie in, and there are lots of things that sort of call back and mention things from the movie like um when we first start the show daniel jackson's not actually on planet he they left him you know um um, back on uh abydos abydos yeah they left him back on abydos um that's one of the things they have to go find him and then that sort of sets up the story of like oh by the way the stargate can go other places and and we meet tilk yeah uh, who is actually what what they call the first prime of Apophis, which is his, um, I guess you would call him a lieutenant almost. Yeah, he's like the right hand man. Yeah, um, he's he's the right hand muscle, really. Pretty much overall, not a good dude. Um, and and for those of you who don't know, Apophis is a alien being. Um, he is a Goa'uld. Goa'ulds are basically worm like creatures that um, attach themselves to the spine of a host and use the host to do their bidding yeah, they're very much a parasitic race um and then the the jaffa which are their warriors uh serve two purposes they are their foot soldiers and they also carry um juvenile goa old larva in them um yeah. they they do reap some health benefits from the goa old uh they they heal from wounds quicker they they don't get sick longer life Longer life, that kind of a thing. Um, once those gold larvae mature, though, then they have to go um, find a host, and the Jaffa that is carrying them either has to find a new larva or die. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, but Tilk, uh, all around, kind of not a good dude when you first meet him, um, because he believes, or he doesn't believe, but um, Apophis is holding himself up as a god to these people. And Tilk is one of the few of the Jaffa who doesn't believe that the Gold are gods. But he also seems sort of beaten down by it. Like it, he he is. His entire it. race has been subjugated by He doesn't them, believe so. it, but he, like, there's fuck all he can do about it. So Exactly. Which um, is you know, a major plot point in the first... Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so, so Colonel O'Neill and his team get captured. He O'Neill kind of pleads with Tilk and says, Hey, you help me out. I can get you out of this mess. And Tilk basically makes a decision on the spot that this is the guy that's going to actually get me out of here. And so he turns on Apophis, helps him get out. and Which is a big deal because um, although the, you get you get the sense that the, the Gwald are powerful in the first season, um, what, or in the first 
few episodes, one of the things that's not immediately clear is that they're not powerful. They're the big bad fucking guys. Like they they present themselves in gods as gods, and for the most part, the races that they've subjugated believe them. Like it's not like a question of like can they aren't they you know it's like oh you know they're they're right they're gods they can do all this cool crazy shit that you know they have no understanding of uh, um and just are basically all powerful like even on our technological level they are still led to uh, are far more powerful than we are um which is you know a, a plot point as as the show goes on um how does earth deal with this uh, other threat when we're very much outclassed so um, you kind of feel bad for Teal because while you get very subtle hints that he doesn't fully believe uh, um, the line, he he's clearly beaten down into believing that there's not really anything he can do about it anyway. So yeah, um, and the the Jaffa for the most part have been used and abused by the gold for so long that yeah, I mean the idea that there's a different way of life is is completely foreign to to most of them anyway. So yeah. Um, anyway, so yeah, that's that's kind of the the first episode in a nutshell, um, and then that jumps into the enemy within, um, where we actually see Tilk as part of the SG One team um, for the first time. Not a huge episode, other than that, we have to say goodbye to our friend Major Kowalski. Um, uh, there we go. He uh, he actually gets. Uh, Taken over by by a gold symbiote at the beginning of the episode, and by the end of the episode, he's 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 gone uh, because they they can't figure out how to get the symbiote out of him. This and, is a, also sort of a raise, raising of the stakes, um, which I think was most of the purpose of this episode was to raise the stakes a little bit because uh, two characters um, from the movie as well, um, Share and uh, Skara, which are two Abydos natives. Um, that befriend the team in the movie and move on into the show are taken in the first episode of the show um, to be hosts, essentially. And uh, so that sort of raised the stakes because the the question so far is, you know, if we can even get a hold of them, can we do anything about it? Can we actually save them? Yeah. Uh, and the enemy within that episode sort of gives you the um, answer, which is no. And And Kowalski getting taken... And and then ultimately dying before the episode is over, also kind of gives you the impression as an audience that you're not sure from the time the episode starts to it ends that any of your characters that you that you like are safe at this point because Kowalski was a big deal um, throughout the entire first episode, yeah, um, as well as 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 this one. Then and then you know you you by the time you're into the third episode of the season, he's not even there anymore, even though he was a big factor before. He he's a little bit of a red shirt. Um, but they do. I I do think that you're right. They are trying to turn that on its head a little bit. Um, it's kind of like um, if you if you go back and actually think about the first episode of Buffy, or the first two, um, Eric Balfour was actually credited in the opening titles. Yeah. Um, and then dies yeah. by the end of the second episode. And Joss Whedon actually did that on purpose. He actually created the entire opening titles with Eric Balfour in there. Because you figured if you actually see him in the opening titles that he's going to be a, an ongoing character and he's going to last, and then he's gone by episode yeah. three. That that sounds to me like such a Joss Whedon thing to do, right? Like, <laughs> like so so you know, like slightly sadistic. You know, like they'll, they'll love this you know type of twist. Well, it's just one of those I'm the filmmaker, I'll decide kind of a yeah. So 
Um, anyway, uh, different different subject. Um, Enemy Within, Kowalski, Gould, done. Like yeah. they can't save him, and they they're not going to let him escape. So, uh, which leads us into an episode that Eddie was actually talking about earlier: uh, yeah. Emancipation with the Mongols. Yeah. So, not the biker gang. I forget exactly how they try to explain this, but they essentially go to a planet where Mongol culture sort of abides. Um, women are very much uh, subjugated and. and uh, they show him wearing, I don't know if this is tradition to Mongols, but they show him wearing what essentially looks like a, a hijab. I think that's right. Maybe a burqa. I always get the two confused. One's a head covering, one's like a full face covering. Uh, um, I think the hijab is the full face covering. Yeah, that's the, you know, for, from Islam. But some, I'm sure there's somebody listening that's like, you were fucking this up so bad. Well, anyway. if they are, maybe they should do what no other listener has done to this yeah, point write and questions fucking write us about it. <laughs> Um, so anyway, women very much subjugated. That's actually how the episode opens. Uh, Carter has the audacity to speak, and therefore she must be put to death because she's a woman or something like that. Not even speaking out of turn, she just spoke in general, and they were like, fuck this bitch. Yeah. We just don't know they place. Um, yeah, so, um, (laughs) it's a throwaway episode. I mean, you get a little bit of a fight and, and, uh, a little bit of girl power stuff in there, which wasn't bad i guess for the timing but it is a i think it's important that it enough that it establishes carter as like yeah she's a brainy scientist but she did kind of beat the shit out of that dude yeah at the end of it and so that, that i think was important it does it does help establish carter's character a little bit um better because in actual actually i don't know if that's true i think you go well no that is true i think even from the beginning they sort of established her as being that sort of brainy scientist character um so yeah, this is probably the first episode where you see her just being actually kind of a badass too. Yeah, like you you see them get into a little bit of a pissing match during Children of the Gods when they when they bring her in um, about being a scientist and stuff like that. But yeah, um, you know, and they're sitting down in the in the conference room and she says something about just because her re- her reproductive organs are on the inside, yeah, not the outside doesn't see, mean. Those so are, those are some of the things that I think are still a little bit painful. Like they're they're maybe this is. Uh, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, because now it's cliche, but I'm pretty sure it was even a little bit cliche. Probably still in 1997, it was cliche. Um, Oh, which, my God, when you watch the Supergirl episode, we we gotta come back to that, because, damn. damn. Um, (laughs) So anyway, emancipation. It uh, it served, if nothing else, it served to, um, to generate respect for, for Captain Carter. Yeah. Although I I will say, the dialogue is pretty corny. It does do a pretty good job establishing as her her as a more three dimensional character, which is fun. Yeah, and then the last one um, that he watched um, more recently is uh, is the Broken Divide. This is a weird episode, man, because it's they they come back from a mission off world, and some of them start exhibiting weird behaviors before others, but um, it's not really a big deal until it happens to SG one. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it kind Basically. of is, is, is an overall theme of the show throughout the series. Is that's uh, fine, and then all of a sudden, sometimes SG one, and they're like, "Fuck this, we got to stop it." SG nine was completely killed. Oh, that's sad. Uh, so anyway, let's get back. Are we going to P three X two two eight? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that's a really if that's a real no, that, planet, but that sounded pretty legit. Um, so yeah, th- this episode again, it's it's a very you know you, this is a one of the things I said was a positive about the show. You could probably watch this episode on its own um, without having seen any prior thing of the series 
However, I don't believe that it's one of the stronger episodes, and it's certainly not something I'd recommend to start with. Yeah, on the on the opposite note of that, you could probably watch a whole bunch of episodes, completely skip this one, and never miss a beat. Yeah, definitely. So this is definitely a, a very throwaway episode. Um, the very basic plot is they go to the planet. Um, the thing is, they meet some sort of Neanderthal-like humans, um, and then they meet m- much more civilized humans. And it turns out that you know uh, the civilized humans get sick, basically throw away the sick member who then becomes this Neanderthal creature, essentially dead to the society, and, and that's how things have been going. Until SG one shows up and saves the day, so yeah, yeah, very throw away. There, there's some pretty classic moments with uh, with Colonel Colonel Neil is is the one that that gets affected the worst, yeah. uh, by it, and um, he's kind of funny as a as a caveman, especially yeah. when uh, it's funny. It's funny when he gets really defensive about Carter. I don't think it's how they quite intended. Uh, well, parts of it are funny, yes, because of that. But parts of it are funny, but not necessarily in the way that they intended it. So yeah, yeah, no, exactly. there are a few chuckles there for things that probably weren't supposed to be funny. But. So if you want to follow along with Mister Eddie, um, that's that's where he's there. at so far. Um, I think he's probably going to try and get through three or four more episodes again before uh, before we do another one. In fact, we've got a lot of good episodes coming up. Cold Lazarus. Um, in fact, three out of the next four episodes are just phenomenal episodes. Cold Lazarus, The Knox, and Brief Candle. Oh, The Knox, yeah. Um, all super good episodes. So, Yeah, and the, one of the things I love about rewatching a series like this is that I it doesn't command my full attention. I certainly give it my full attention a lot of the times. But I can actually fit more of them in because I can do it while I'm doing other stuff like working on whatever.co or something like that. Uh, um, which is what I've been doing most of the time at, when I've caught these episodes right now is uh, working on them while watching something else or watching them while working on something else rather so I've been playing a lot of Minecraft while I watch Stargate <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's it's a good show because I can listen to it because I've actually seen all the episodes at least twice if yeah. not more that's that's what I was sort of saying is like it's a comfortable show like uh, it's very rewatchable for me because there's a lot of different episodes and so you can always watch something that you haven't seen super super recently but it's also very watchable for a lot of other reasons too um, you know namely that you can just jump in anywhere most of the time and it's fine um, so yeah it, it, it definitely if nothing else there, there's certainly some coloring of my opinions through you know rose-colored glasses because uh the other thing is that this was out you know in the prime of like my high school you know life essentially um so i was watching a lot of these in sort of my formative years um it's fun to watch i guess for if nothing else because of nostalgia so yeah it's a good it's a good series so but i still yeah i i'd still say it, it stands pretty well even forgetting all that yeah yeah, I would say. I, I think one of the reasons why it stands on its own better than Buffy does is because I think as technologically advanced as the Stargate system is, it isn't human technology, so there doesn't have to be a lot of computers. And there, their computers that they use are not necessarily all that advanced at the SGC, but that's not really the point of the show, so they kind of just gloss over that kind of stuff and don't focus on it. The first season of Buffy, with Willow being kind of a computer nerd, yeah, so to speak, they're using a lot of computers, and they're mostly like Tandy 286s and shit like that. That It is kind of funny, because, well, I don't think it's quite that bad. Like mean, there's, they're, they're 97, so they've probably gotten up to Pentiums or something like that. There's but. no Windows environment, though. 
Yeah. And any penny of them came with Windows 3.1 at least. This is what's funny so, to me about movies today. Um, everybody, everybody everywhere knows Windows and knows what Windows looks like. A, a vast majority of people, are, or, well, that's probably not true, but a sizable population probably know what Mac OS looks like. A god-awfully lot of people probably have a basic understanding of what a computer looks like, and yet we still get these ridiculous interfaces, even today, in modern TV shows. Yeah, I think in Arrow, Arrow's definitely Felicity uses a lot of Linux stuff that most people aren't familiar with, but See, it's it, not, you, you know it's definitely not a Windows. Arrow does some things GUI. like that, too, that drive me up the wall, with where they get with their fake computer interface you know, like, like I'm gonna hack the Pentagon really quick. Tap 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 tap. Well, here's oh, what it is, man. Was God, you know? It's it's Microsoft has got their hand down the CW's pants. That's what I was just gonna say. And Except everything, for everything has a Windows logo on it, but then when she's actually using the computer, that's not fucking Windows. Except for when it is, and it, it's in. See, this is one of the things. Season that, one had a lot of the Windows eight tiles and stuff. Oh like God. That. Like everything, everybody had a surface. Yeah, and she was always mentioning her tablet. You know, like I half expected at some point she's gonna, she was gonna like launch into full on commercial. Like, did yeah, no, it's not that hard on my Windows Eight Surface tablet. Uh, all I have to do is tap on the new, uh, very you know, whatever. modern design start t- tile and, and insert whatever fucking metro <laughs> terminology you want to use. But yeah, uh, uh, Smallville was kind of bad about that with Toyota for a while. Uh, there's one like oh fucking the Walking Dead. Chloe Sullivan had one line. I mean, she had multiple lines in Smallville. Obviously, she was a huge character, but there was a one line that even years later still stands out, and that's we can take my Yaris. You know, <laughs> yeah. like product placement has gotten so fucking just blatantly ridiculous. Yeah, it's it's a little unnerving at times. It it uh it it gets incredibly distracting. Um. Which is annoying because it really shouldn't be, um, because I also find it d- equally distracting when, you know, rather than having a Coke, they have, you know, a cola that looks incredibly like a Coke, you know? Yeah. Um, but then at the same time, if they're like, oh, I'm just going to take a nice drink of my cool, refreshing Coke, and then we'll go fight the bad guy, you know, it, that drives me a little It kind of walks a, a fine line of... The Walking Dead... Either you're watching something that's incredibly cheap, and they just don't want to bother getting permission for the product placement yeah so they go through extreme measures to cover it up which you notice yeah or they've been bought and paid for by whatever company it is to the point where half the episode is a goddamn ad yeah the walking dead was always funny about this too because they had the um what was it? the hyundais the hyundais they had the hyundais all over in the episodes season two it was really thick yeah and what's funny about that is with shane's little rig that he had and and hyundai even made a walking dead edition of that vehicle they had the walking dead in the hyundais but that what it, it what's ridiculous about that is a they're you know they've got all these hyundais lying around um you know which there aren't that many hyundais comparatively so it was funny that how much they had in the group i guess especially know, in rural fucking georgia yeah so that that was the other <laughs> funny dichotomy every every other car you see is either 10 years old you know, because it's like whatever else they can scrape up, you know, in the show's budget. So you see a like lot of Grandma's like, Buick. Yeah, you see a lot of like '92 Ford Tauruses and stuff like that. Or big Oldsmobiles. Yeah, um, that are all super, super filthy. And then you have like your absolutely pristine Hyundai, because you know, in the zombie apocalypse, I know I got to keep my wheels shining. You know, like so. Yeah, the product placement gets a little ridiculous. But uh, speaking of the Walking Dead, are you are you uh, are you gonna watch the 
the companion series? Oh, we haven't talked about that at all. Um, no. I'm, first off, Fear yes. the Walking Dead, is that what it's called? I believe so. Yeah. Um, I think I will, well, first off, yeah, I'm definitely going to watch it. Um, I'm sure Ashley, uh, Ashley, my wife, um, and I both watch The Walking Dead pretty much ritually um, when it's on. Um, she likes it a lot more, I think, than I do at times. Uh, but it's still a good enough show that I, I can definitely make time for it. Um, well, it's in color. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> that's pretty important. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to watch it. Uh, the only thing I really heard about it so far, and I guess maybe I should go Google this at some point, is essentially that it's set in L.A. much earlier in the timeline. Yeah, I think, um, I think we're going to kind of pick up, like, as the apocalypse is hitting kind of a thing, yeah. is the impression I get. And I think that's kind of cool. Um, this is, this is going to be interesting to me because whereas I've read all the comic books for the Walking Dead series... Yeah, um, I've kind of been able to follow along on the show, and some things have followed pretty closely. Other things, completely not. Yeah, um, this show is not anything to do with the comic book, so everything right. that happens in it is going to be an original idea. So that's that's interesting to me, and it's either going to be really good or it's going to be really bad. I mean, I don't think there's going to be an in between on it. So I'm really interested to see what they're going to do with this because I don't want this to take place in the very very early zombie apocalypse. Like that's one of the things I I sort of like about. Um, the Walking Dead is they skip over the early excitement and they get straight into uh, how does humanity have to change? Yeah, to zomb- zombies are here. You know, like it, it's a thing. We're not fighting zombies or trying to survive the apocalypse or anything like that. That's that's true to an extent, but I think at the beginning of the series, I think we see more a lot of like, especially Rick finding out like when he wakes up from his coma and he's like, "What the fuck is going on?" Yeah, um, the zombies are a much bigger deal at that point, and now. It's their interactions with other communities and other, yeah. you know, you know, bad guys or whatever that aren't zombies. They're just other humans that are dicks. So um, that's an interesting angle. I wonder if they're going to make... Um, first off, I don't think so, because I think The Walking Dead is always going to be about human, human versus human, um, while the zombies definitely set the stage for why that interaction becomes so crucial. But I, I would be interested to see them make the zombies more of a threat. Because nowadays, um, on The Walking Dead at least... The zombies are a little bit of a threat, but they're a threat like... They're a, just kind of there. Yeah, they're, they're a threat like any other force of nature is a threat. Like, they're a threat like um, if you live in Tornado Alley or something like that, like, tornadoes are a threat. Like, yeah, I can really fuck up your day, but for the most part... I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, and compare fun. them more along the lines of, like, an alligator or something than I would even a natural disaster. Because with the zombies, they're there... And and, and even though that's kind of the prevailing theme of the of the show, like... They're not treated as though they are the villain anymore, but right. they're there, and and they're almost more of a nuisance at this point for our, especially for our core group, right? And they're but but it's gotten to a point where not only are they not like the the main threat, but they're being used by the bad guys a lot of the time as weapons. Now. That's a good point. Like they yeah. we've weaponized zombies. Like no longer are they the threat. Like they're they're the solution to end our problems. Yeah. So, uh, that it'll be interesting to see how the, the new show handles it, considering it's much earlier in the timeline. Um, yeah. And the other thing I don't want to see is I don't want to see the zombies be exactly the same as we're getting in The Walking Dead right now. Because one thing that The Walking Dead has been really, really good about is as the, the series progresses along the timeline, the zombies are becoming more and more desiccated as yeah. they go forward. Um Whereas in the first couple of seasons, they kind of moved quick. Some of them, you can climb a little bit. 
I don't think that was originally the idea. I don't think they're supposed to. I think that was more of a uh, showrunner thing. Like, we see zombies using tools, I think, in the first couple of episodes of The Walking Dead, um, which was never something that really happened in the comics. No. The Walking Dead were stupid creatures that just wanted to eat. And and I think they've definitely gone away from that. So I think part of that is, you're right, they definitely have gone to lengths to make sure the zombies look and feel more desiccated. And, you know, now the bones are so decayed that they can just basically rip the zombies apart barehanded half the time. Um and you don't know if that's necessarily a, a conscious effort to to do that, yeah, or if it's a budgetary issue. Yeah, some of it I think, especially in the early episodes, like if you go back and rewatch some of it, the zombies just look a little bit more fake um, because you can it, obviously the budget's not there. Um, the Walking Dead when it first came out was a very big question mark I think for AMC as far as how it was going to perform and stuff like that. Um, and nowadays it's a phenomenon, so. I think they're definitely getting a lot more budget now so they can do cooler things with the zombies as far as like makeup and wardrobe and stuff like that go. But also, they are definitely trying to make the zombies um, more believable in that aspect where they, they do get weaker as time goes by. Which is something they did in the comics where, you know, budget's not a concern at all. So, I guess the answer to, to my original question is, yeah, you're going to watch the new show. I'm going to check it out too. Um, yeah, I mean, if you're a Walking Dead fan, I think it, you you kind of have to watch at least the first couple of episodes and find out if it's any good. Um, I'm an AMC fan at this point. Yeah. I mean, between The Walking Dead and Breaking Bad, um, I and I'm going to go ahead and, and say this right now, I've watched all of Breaking Bad. I've only seen a few episodes of Better Call Saul, but the those have been good too, and I want to catch up on those now that the season is pretty well over. So yeah, I feel like a little bit behind because I haven't really watched much of Breaking Bad. Uh, um, me and Ashley have only watched the first few episodes, um, and I did watch some of the some of Mad Men, which is the other big. I haven't watched Mad Men at all yet. Just wrapped um, AMC show, but yeah, it, I think Mad Silver will probably kill the whole series, but yeah, yeah I don't know probably. Why I watch it. Um, but yeah, I, this is an interesting thing because um, sort of the renaissance of TV is happening on cable. It, it's amazing to me because when I was a kid and, and you know, throughout my teenage years and stuff like that, TV series were either half an hour or an hour, depending on what it was. Sitcoms were a half an hour. Yeah. You know, your dramas were an hour. But they were all 20-plus episodes per season. Oh, yeah. Um, and now, as I'm getting older, I've rewatched some of the series that I watched when I was a kid, and some of them are good. Some of them still are are good, but I mean, others obviously don't have nearly the amount of magic they had, you know, when you're when you're younger. I think sitcoms hold their value a little bit better. Yeah, because I mean, like things like Roseanne, Roseanne, that show touched on topics that still exist today. Yeah, um, and but they did it in a way that's it's just hilarious, and it can be funny. And that's, that's really the big thing. I mean, it's it's a twenty minute you know way to tell a joke, and and a lot of the jokes remain funny and relevant today. So. Turns out the joke in a lot of them though is us, yeah. <laughs> as a human, as as a species. Yeah, <laughs> but um, I guess the point I was trying to get at is is we're finding out now that a TV series doesn't have to run twenty episodes plus in a season; it can run thirteen. But as long as the programming is quality, you're still going to get the enjoyment out of it. Sons of Anarchy is a show that I didn't watch for the first few seasons, and then I I kind of marathoned them. Mm-hmm. All, um, I, I I got them on on Blu-ray and watched the first several seasons, and then I I was caught up, and so I started watching the series as it as it went. And man, 
you talk about a show that it was only 13 episodes, but as soon as that 13th episode was over, like I was waiting, you know, for the next one. And I guess they might've stretched out into 14 episodes by the, by the end of it or whatever. But I mean, still, I thought it was a really good show. Yeah. Um, and a lot of other people do too. <laughs> I don't think I'm alone in that. So, you know, it's hard because like, for example, with a flash, like, well, actually, the Flash is a bad example because they did do like a twenty-three episode season, and it's a good, it's a good series. Yeah, like you always want a little bit more, but it's very easy to dilute the writing. Um, yeah, Game of Thrones is probably a better example because Game of Thrones does have the shorter seasons, and they probably could stretch them longer if they wanted to, but it would very quickly be diluted on TV um, because while the material is there from the books and stuff like that, quite honestly, a lot of it could end up being very boring to watch. Um, so. Yeah, at some point it's it's nice that they did that. Um, the other example I was thinking of immediately when you said you were talking about shorter seasons now is uh, uh, BBC's Sherlock series. Three episodes. Three episodes. And not even traditional. I mean, it's more like three. Like they're, they're two hours. Yeah, it's more like three movies um, that, that make, uh, you know, the series. Uh, but, yeah. Yes, per series. We don't have seasons. Yeah. The, we're the English, non- damn it. Non-traditional... Uh, um, you know, I don't know when that became a thing to do, but the non-traditional um, season lengths and stuff like that um, have probably helped TV because it does allow them to tell tighter stories. And so, but yeah. we're definitely in an age where we have a shorter attention span too. I don't know that that necessarily is lending itself to the because we have access to everything instantly. It's not because we're we're any less as a species, but the internet has given us everything we want when we want it so there's also that i mean it's not only access to uh, um everything because you know you can really watch a lot of tv like we just talked about you know like, like this 10 season and i believe those were the long seasons the 20 plus episode seasons of stargate which is available instantly and a lot of the shows we're talking about you can very easily um watch online right now if you want to um but it's just the breadth of it. Like, just forget TV for a second. You know, you know, have Twitter and Facebook and Reddit and blah, blah, blah. You know, you just can fill time in so many different ways now. It, it's ridiculous because when I was a kid, when it was primetime, there wasn't shows that were geared toward kids. Oh, there no. wasn't... I mean, you had to watch TV at a very specific time to get very specific programming. You know, you had your Saturday morning cartoons, which was all about kids, and it was marketed, and there's serial advertisements yeah. and toy advertisements and this, that, and the other thing. And then as the day progressed on, then you progress into like, you know, sports and things like that. And it was very formulaic. And now, and I don't necessarily do this because I don't like to, I I don't, I'm not, I'm not big into giving my kids whatever they want when they want it. And it doesn't have anything to do with, because I didn't have it or anything like that. It was just because I don't necessarily think I, I, I should have to, but if I wanted to, while I'm watching a movie on my TV, I could very easily go over to the computer and I could find anything the kid wants to watch there. Or there's games or, you know, yeah. whatever they want to do. Like, there's there's plenty of stuff. So we just we live in an age where there's so much stuff that's available to us at any given time that I think it's easier for us to digest a 13-episode season than it is a 20-plus episode season just because of the fact that we can watch it, it's good quality programming, and then we can move on to the next thing. I think you just kind of highlighted one of the reasons why why you get more 13-episode seasons and things like that, too, is the reality of TV before was primetime was when you watch TV. I mean, whatever they put in in primetime 
um, for the most part, you know, they would fill 20 episodes and it didn't matter if they were the best quality episodes because it was what was on and they, you didn't really have a lot of choices. You could watch one of the big four networks or something like that. Um, or if you had cable, which wasn't necessarily a given, I would say by the time I was, you know, so we're talking like 90, 90 something, early 90s probably, it was a given that you had cable or most people had cable at that point. Um, but, you know, for a long time it was watch whatever's on the big four and you'll like it. And nowadays that's not true at all. I mean, there's so many things you can was watch. It, was it X-Men first class when something was on TV and Hank was like, yeah, all three stations. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Marvel, probably the be- best example of this now, y- y- not even on TV. I mean, forget the networks for a second. Um, did I say Marvel? I meant Netflix. I think they go hand in hand. Yeah. They, they because they're right now. But, and that's the example I was going to give is Daredevil. Daredevil is exactly the sort of content that I want to see. And it's now not on anyone else's schedule about my own now. So yeah, that's, 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 that's a really time. interesting dynamic too, because you, you have a 13 episode season, but they're all available the first day. So if you, I mean, you take a day off work and watch the entire series in one day, if you want to, which, uh, you know, conversely I did. I'm, I'm very much a completionist. Like, once something has hooked my interest, I want to absorb all of it as quickly as I can, which is almost a little bit of annoying because I do sort of enjoy, like, when The Flash, you know, just watching The Flash season, I really kind of almost enjoy the whole wait for the, um, or, or the delayed gratification and, you know, watching episode after episode as compared to Daredevil, which I marathoned, you know, within the first week it was out, I think starting, you know, Friday at midnight when it came out. And now it's sort of gone out of my life a little bit, which I guess means I should probably go rewatch it because it was excellent. But um, yeah, definitely, definitely a different dichotomy these days, yeah, especially with attention spans and things like that. So, which instant gratification kind of leads me um, into another another subject altogether, and that is uh, Supergirl, man. Like July 9th, right? Uh-huh. Except for yesterday. No, it's out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and not even sure yesterday. Yesterday's probably just when I heard about it, but the Supergirl pilot has leaked. Um, I have seen it, and Matt hasn't quite yet, so that's why we're not talking about it on this episode. I'm sure we're going to come back to it. We, we can kind of touch on, a, on on what it means, though, to to have your, your pilot all of a sudden out there, ready to be grabbed by anybody that wants to grab it. And don't get me wrong, um, whatever he doesn't necessarily condone, you know digital piracy or anything like that but um it does present another dynamic to watching tv these days x-files one of the most popular you know tv series ever created nobody had the opportunity to watch the x-files before it aired or anything like that and now yeah, we live not in unless time, you were on staff or something like that yeah now we live in a day and age where you got to really trust the people that you're employing as a network <laughs> otherwise your shit's out there before you even are ready for it See, but do we? But but was this a legitimate leak, or was that, this that going to be my question? Because that's true, and that's been true for a few years now. But um, outside of, I would say screeners like the DVD screener scene type of thing. Sure. Outside of that, like TV, I can't really think of a high profile leak um, like this that's happened in recent memory. Um, so part of that, I think, is how much are they just trying to build a little bit of hype for the show? Um, the interview is a good. Yeah, the interview is another good, you know, did, 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 it, did it really leak or, um, you know? That one was kind of piggybacked on a Sony leak. 
Yeah. Um, but I, I don't necessarily know that it had anything to do with the Sony League, you know? Other, well, it, other than maybe to try to distract from it. Right. Um, right. And then, and I brought up this point to Eddie before we went on the air. The Supergirl five-minute preview that we saw, neither one of us were that impressed by it. And we can't be the only ones that were really not feeling it. And you almost kind of wonder if CBS was catching wind that their 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 balloon was deflated before it ever even had a chance to to leave the ground. So, you know, all of a sudden now we've got the entire pilot episode, so we have a better basis to form an opinion on. And because I haven't seen it, I can't really speak to whether or not it worked. Um, but it does it does present an interesting question, and that is: Are these leaks legitimate leaks, or or are they completely and totally planned? Because now. I gotta say, if it was intentional, it was really grasping for, for straws. Because I mean, yeah, it's a summer release, and summer isn't necessarily, you know, when the big premieres come out. But you got to imagine they had some money invested in the July 9th pilot advertising, things like that. And and now if it's out and everybody has See, access that, to it, that's one of the things that makes it a little bit hard for me to believe that it it is specifically a leak or, or a controlled leak um i could see them you know control leaking smaller parts of it um but that in that respect i don't think that's necessarily too different from like traditional ways of advertising like you know the five minute preview obviously wasn't really a leak that was something that they did as part of the you know press for the show and i could see more things like that but the whole episode leaking um i don't know i, I don't want to get too conspiracy theorist on that because it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of business sense to me, which, um, um, other than, you know, maybe as a distraction from that five-minute thing we saw, but honestly, uh, the five-minute thing we saw, so far, I don't think it's too far from the mark without going into a whole lot of depth about the show, so. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I get from it, and that is, there's a couple ways to look at it. You can say, well, it's it's out there now, so... If they invested money into the premiere, they're probably not going to get a very good return on that. But there's a lot of people out there that don't know how to operate a torrent client. You know oh, what I mean? Yeah, definitely. So this could be just to alleviate the fears of people like us yeah, um, that are that are actively talking about things like this and putting our opinions out there for everybody to hear. Um, whereas they, they're still going to be able to count on, you know, maybe you're... 40, 50, 60 year old demographic that wants to see a comic book TV series but doesn't necessarily do the whole online thing a whole lot. There's, I mean, yeah. believe it or not, there's, there's, there's still people out there that don't have computers. Yeah. You don't have to even go to that age group. There, like, there's a lot of people who still would have no idea. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure, in fact, it's probably the vast majority. It's not, it's not at all hard to do, but a lot of people, you know, struggle with. You know, basic word document type of thing. So, um, not that you could tell if you ever go on Reddit, because yeah, you, you, they're all experts. Yeah, but <laughs> well, for, yeah, a little bit. Well, not not quite. I mean, Reddit is now such such a sizable portion, or so big that you you get really a good cross sample of of uh, people there. But yeah, it's definitely skewed towards more technologically inclined. So yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking of Reddit, you you ran into a pretty good uh, list that you found. Of, oh uh, yeah, um, I posted this uh, in the show notes so you could see, and we'll put it up um, with show notes for this episode. Um, it's basically just a, a thread on um, 
the movie subreddit asking about uh, good post apoc or post apocalyptic um, films, which I'm sure is expired uh, or inspired largely by the new Mad Max movie coming out, which I want to see, but I haven't yet. I haven't seen it either, but I've had I've heard good things. Um, the gist I get from the Reddit article is that uh, there was a dude that um, has he recently rewatched the movie The Postman, and The Postman was largely panned by by critics when it came out. Yeah, um, but this dude kind of liked it and was just curious about other people's opinions on not only that movie but other post apocalyptic type movies. Um, the Postman, I think, is a really good place to start because I really enjoyed it. And it did get panned by critics, and I have to wonder, is it because it was a bad movie, because I don't think it was, or is it because at, by the time that it came out, people had turned against Kevin Costner, because he was involved in a different post-apocalyptic movie that was also just demolished? Waterworld. Yeah. yeah. And neither one of them, I thought, were bad movies. Waterworld... Different feeling than The Postman. The Postman was a completely serious movie. There wasn't a lot in it that... Uh, there was nothing campy about it at all. It was just a, a legitimate post-apocalyptic... This guy... And, and the hero's not even a hero. He's kind of an asshole. He kind of just... anti Almost anti-hero. I, I don't want to say anti-hero nearly as much as just... Like, he was an opportunist, man. He came across his mailbag and like decided to pretend to be a mailman... You know, from the new from the new government, just so he could get fed. Yeah. You know, um, but then he ended up having to overthrow a, a despot who was a copy machine salesman <laughs> in his yeah. former life. Um, so, whereas Waterworld definitely had more camp to it. You know what I mean? James Con or was it James Con? No, it was. Um, oh God, I can picture him perfectly, and especially in the Waterworld guard. But I can't God, I can't even his remember name. his fucking name. And he's a good actor too. Yeah. Dennis Hopper. Hopper. Yeah, Dennis Hopper. The crazy cigarette-smoking leader of the smokers. Yeah, so let, let's get this straight. I kind of think they're both terrible movies, but I like them anyway. Like I, I um, And this is kind of... Um, first off, I'm a sucker for post-apoc. Like, I love watching post-apoc movies. Um, um, and, and both of those movies are sort of right up that alley. Um, but yeah, I like both of the movies, even though that they're, they're not really great movies. Um, they're just kind of fun to watch. Um, and, and this isn't as true with Postman, but with Waterworld especially, it does not stand up to scrutiny at all. Shut your brain off completely before you go in, because it's you're just not going to make the best <laughs> logical thought to get through this movie. Um, but yeah, th- those were some good ones. We were talking about another movie that Matt hasn't seen, and I mentioned uh, The Road, uh, another good post-apoc, and really the dark side of post-apoc movies. Um you've seen that you know exactly what i'm talking about if you haven't seen that uh do watch it it's a great movie but it like i was telling matt it's one of those movies i don't know that i'll necessarily watch again because it's it's pretty depressing but overall a great movie i'm sort of like the artsier side of what what uh, the genre can be yeah there's there's a lot of movies in that list that i hadn't necessarily thought of before as being post-apocalyptic movies i think uh one of the ones we mentioned was was judge dread and they yeah. they specifically called it judge dread and not dread so i have to assume they were referring to the stallone movie which i didn't necessarily feel was all that post-apocalyptic well that's um, because we were you know sorry keep interrupting no go ahead because uh, this was your opinion too, yeah so. well we overtook the or we were talking about this and i kind of agreed but largely because it's so distracting um you know it's it this it's a stallone movie 
and, and Stallone is not necessarily a bad actor or anything like that, but this is clearly in like the heyday of like it's just a vehicle for Sylvester Stallone, and the whole Judge Dredd thing falls way by the wayside. So they're headed this which time, which you can see especially I, now compared to the Dredd movie with Carl Urban. It, when when Judge Dredd came out, I think there had been a couple comic book movies that were relatively successful at that point in time, and mm-hmm. I think they were just trying to capitalize on comic books that were lesser known. Yeah. So it could be kind of um, they could almost present them as original ideas, but Judge Dredd, the Stallone movie, was so bastardized just to turn it into a, a Stallone vehicle that yeah, it was terrible. Um, whereas, like you said, with Carl Urban, uh, the Dredd movie that came out a couple of years ago was. Um, I'm not going to call it a fantastic movie, but it was a good movie. You yeah, know it I mean? was definitely a good movie, and it was definitely far truer to the source material. Yeah, Carl Urban was amazing, and you didn't see his face the entire movie. Uh, another one I wanted to mention that was on that list, uh, Boy and His Dog. Have you seen that? I've not. Okay. Um, have you played Fallout? A little bit. I've okay. not. Uh, so, more for the fans, then, if you played Fallout um, and want to see where a lot of the ideas come from, go watch A Boy and His Dog. It's an older movie. It's uh, 1973 or four or something like that. Um it uh, stars Don Johnson pre-Miami Vice. Pre-Miami Vice? Yeah. Um, he's very young. Very young in the movie. So he was like still wearing socks then. Yeah, he must have been like 18 or 19, I think. Or at least he looks like 18 or 19, but maybe that's just because I can only picture Miami Vice, Don Johnson. But anyway, A Boy and His Dog, pretty good post-epoch movie. Uh, um, and, and a lot of it served as inspiration for Fallout. Um, you can go read about that online. I'm sure it's all over the place. Uh, a couple other ones uh, worthy of mention would be I Am Legend. Yep. That was... When I watched I Am Legend, it was not at all what I expected out of it. Uh, interesting interesting kind of take on the whole zombie apocalypse kind of thing. And whereas a lot of zombies are, are portrayed as, you know, mindless, just all they want to do is, is feed and whatever. These zombies, they kind of learned. So... I liked I Am Legend, um, and I hated I Am Legend, so, uh, okay, so the, I guess it's easier to explain why I didn't like it. Um, first off, the movie overall is pretty good, it's pretty watchable, um, it's worth watching today, if you haven't seen it, go, go check it out. Um, but there's two things that I really didn't like about I Am Legend, and so spoilers within, if you want to see this movie and don't want to go and clean, uh, skip past this part or something, but, um... First off, there's a couple of things they set up within the movie itself that they never really paid off on. Um, that is true. Like, uh, you said zombies, but I think th- they were actually shooting more towards vampires, and that's more from the source material. The source material, I think, was more... The the I Am Legend, I think that it was either... I think it was based on a short story, not necessarily a book, yeah. but a short story, and I think it was vampires in, in that, but I think what they came across as in the movie were zombies. Yeah. So it was a virus of some sort, I think. Yeah, and I think that was true of the earlier adaptation of it with uh, um super famous fucking actor that I can't remember. Charlton Heston, is that right? Omega Man? I think that might have been Chuck, yeah. Yeah, so Omega Man was an earlier adaptation of I Am Legend. Within uh, the Will Smith I Am Legend, they sort of set up some things with the uh, lead uh, vampire zombie guy um, that they never really pay off on, which was sort of disappointing because they really telegraphed it in a lot of different places. And actually, you can really tell this because if you go get the director's cut or the um, whatever it is, the deleted endings and stuff like that, that uh, one of the deleted endings that they went that they did not use in the theatrical release was really a lot better 
and had a lot more payoff for some things they hinted at earlier in the movie. So that part really pissed me off. The other part that really pisses me off is if you go back and you read more about the story, um, I Am Legend, uh, um, as in the source material, the original, you know, uh, book or short story or whatever, all of the movies, I think, with maybe the exception of the one that almost nobody has heard ever seen from the really, really early, like, 50s or 60s, completely missed the point of the thing. Um, and, th- and that is that um, the baddies in, in the show, in the movie, um, again, it's vampires, zombies, whatever, are quasi-intelligent. And, and in the book, they're they intelligent enough to tell stories. And so the story is uh, basically that Robert Neville, the bad guy, or the good guy in the, the movie, you know, trying to defend himself and is killing, you know, the, the creatures and things like that. Um, becomes a legend, a negative legend, that the um, creatures would tell their kids about, and thus he was a legend um, for that reason, which, again, spoilers, oops, they completely miss that in, in all of the movies. They miss that in Omega Man, they miss that in I Am Legend especially. Yeah, like, the, the title really betrays what you get out of the movie in terms of that, because you don't understand why he's a legend. Yeah. Um, and it's not because he's a legend to people. Yeah, you're you're really left to draw your own conclusions, and you and the obvious conclusions I think that people uninitiated with the source material would come up with are probably wildly different than the intention. But overall, good flick. There's 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 a few pretty awesome scenes in that movie that make it worth watching. You know, if nothing else, the scene where he's in the video store with the mannequins and stuff like that was pretty uh, uh, painful in a good way. Yeah, yeah, no, I I agree. A um, couple other ones where they mentioned on that. Uh, man, I lost it. There was one of them specifically that I was going to call out on that one. Idiocracy. <laughs> That's not one that I would necessarily consider post-apocalyptic. It is, but it's oh, Twelve Monkeys. Oh yeah, Twelve Monkeys is good. You watch this? Did you watch the show? Um, have you tried watching the show? No, not at all. No, I I watched a few episodes, but it didn't really catch. It didn't I, really hook it for I me. I didn't. I didn't think they could make a series out of it. I'm still not convinced they can. Oh, Equilibrium. Uh, I should mention Equilibrium. Have you seen that? Um, that's uh, Christian, Christian Bale, Bale. Right? yeah, yeah. I don't think I've actually watched the whole thing. It's it's a fun movie, and it gives us one of the best things that could never happen in real life: uh, the gun guitar. I, I loved that whole series of martial arts and stuff like that, and that was really well done in that movie. But um, of course, it doesn't make any real sense in real life at all. Um, Book of Eli, Book of Eli, not bad. Again, another thing that doesn't necessarily make sense. Uh, this actually really ruined a big part of the movie for me, which uh, I don't want to give it away, but. Well, no, I can't really give it away. So I guess spoilers for the Book of Eli if you haven't seen it. The book that he's carrying, you know, the Bible, if it were in Braille and he was the last guy that could read it, uh, Braille is actually a lot lengthier than regular English. Yeah, and that thing would be huge. Yeah, like it would have been several, several volumes. He wouldn't have been able to carry it. Um, thank you, blind guy on Reddit who spoiled that dick. Um. <laughs> is that really that big of a deal though i mean no i mean all things considered it doesn't take that much from the movie uh, at all but it was just kind of funny to learn i that think again. it was probably one of the last movies that denzel did that i really gave a shit about denzel in yeah um no, and I- i'm not saying that i'm not trying to diss the guy but it's like there became a point in hollywood where anytime there was a movie that called for a black guy in any kind of lead type role it immediately went to Denzel, whether he was necessarily right for the job or not. See, that's tough because he is a really good actor. He is phenomenal. 
Um, yeah, there are some things that he had some pretty questionable casts. I just, yeah, I just, I didn't really have a ton. Twelve Monkeys, by the way, we just mentioned it. Um, Brad Pitt, and Bruce Willis, probably in some of their best roles, especially Brad Pitt. Really, oh, I think that was really the breakout role for Brad Pitt. Oh, another one, uh, Children of Men. Have you seen that movie? I've not. Got you. Got to go watch. Okay, so of all the movies you haven't seen on this list that we talked about so far, Children of Men is definitely one that I would say you have to watch. Is the Stand on this list? I don't think so. I really like the Stand too. Although, um, again, the book was quite a quite a bit more in detail, and there were some things that were different. Um, but and the Stand is really uh, it's a TV miniseries, um, and there are parts of it that are really not good. Um, but yeah, no, I like it. No, I. I Here's what I liked about The Stand. Gary Sinise, man. He yeah. was really good in that role. Gary Sinise, probably the, the guy that stood out the most. I think the guy that played Dauber on Coach. <laughs> <laughs> M-O-O-N. Yeah, that's um, move. But uh, they're remaking The Stand. Did you know that? I did not. But yeah. actually, that's interesting because I think that could be good. Yeah. Uh, no, I think, I think it's going to be really good. Um, I'm not really sure on the specifics and how they're going to do it. Dark City is on this list. Dark City with... Uh, Dark City actually is a really good movie, I think. It has Kiefer Sutherland in it, but he's not the main. He's not the lead. The lead is actually a lesser-known guy. And it, it yeah, really, Dark really City is sort of a, almost a tragedy of Hollywood because it came out right before The Matrix did, and it had a lot of the things that The Matrix did. And including really, The Swerve. Yeah, it really could have been a big deal... Um, but for some reason, it got completely overlooked. So um, if you like The Matrix, I would definitely say go back and watch Dark City because it's another excellent movie. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll, I'm going to go this far. I'm going to say if you like the first Matrix and were incredibly disappointed with the second uh, and third movies. Which is basically everybody who's seen them. The big, big shining beacon of hope with Dark City is they didn't make any sequels to it. It stood <laughs> on its own as a good movie. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, obviously we've got Mad Max in here, Road Warrior, um, you can pretend Thunderdome doesn't exist, I do. Got a smattering of zombie movies, Day of the Dead, um, Romero's Day of the Dead, a lot of those are really good. Um, Romero actually, you know, of course you can't really mention zombies without mentioning Romero, because he's kind of given us the modern zombie. It's just a pretty good movies. What did you think of the, uh, the, the remakes, the Dawn of the Dead and the, the Land of the Dead? I don't remember if I saw Land of the Dead. Um, I saw Day of the Dead, and it wasn't bad. Um, Day or Dawn? I want to think. I think it's Dawn. Dawn is the one that had uh, two thousand five. Yeah, it had uh, McKay's in it. Pfeiffer? No. Yeah, McKay Pfeiffer. Yeah. Yeah, McKay Pfeiffer. McKay Pfeiffer played that guy who's had had the zombie baby. I think. Yeah, and Ving Rhames was uh, was a cop. Yeah, he was with him too. I like they, they were taking pot shots at the zombies. They shot Letterman and Rosie O'Donnell. I think. <laughs> from the roof, the the it wasn't a bad movie, but I I didn't think there was anything really particularly special about it. There wasn't anything particularly special about it, although it was one of the first ones that I watched as an adult. You know what I mean? Because the yeah. other zombie movies and stuff that I'd seen, I I was I was younger. Uh, Dawn of the Dead, I was older, and and man, the the little girl zombie kind of toward the beginning of that one kind of freaked me out. Yeah, like, definitely. Uh, Land of the Dead was a little bit disappointing um, because it was supposed to kind of be a sequel to Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. Um, and speaking of movies, Dennis Hopper was in. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. No, I've seen that one too. I think I watched that on Netflix a while back. Dennis Hopper and um, Leguizamo was in that too. Yep. Not nearly as good though as the as the as the first one. Nope. Probably a reason I saw that one on Netflix. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
of course, some people mentioned Fury Road in this one, which neither of us have seen. Uh, Terminator obviously came up mostly for the callbacks. We're talking Terminator 2, not in a, not not the actual post-epoch Terminators, which weren't that good. Uh, <laughs> I don't like to talk shit, you know, about a lot of a lot of people, but anybody that was involved in Terminator 3... Yeah, Terminator 3 was bad. Like, including Schwarzenegger. Like, nobody nobody in those movies should have gotten jobs after that. I, I will and say... I'm sorry, I'm sorry to Claire Danes, because... She was probably the best part of that movie. Sal- Salvation wasn't horrible, but it wasn't particularly good either. No, have we talked about Salvation on the show before? I don't think we talked about it on the show, but I know we've talked about it. Salvation was one of those movies that, for what it was, it was advertised completely wrong because they signed on Christian Bale as John Connor, but the movie wasn't about John Connor, and you didn't no. really realize that until later. Until about halfway through the movie when you're like, where the fuck is John Connor? Yeah, no, it's the movie is totally about Kyle Reese. Yeah, and Kyle Reese has always been one of my favorite characters from the Terminator Mythos. And oh, and that was a perfectly fine route to go. But um, they just they they really capitalized on Batman Begins, and they were like, "Look who we got!" Yeah, they got Christian Bale in the movie. Who uh, I think one of the rumors I heard was they rewrote a little bit, or Christian wanted them to rewrite a little bit to make him a, a more featured character. And it didn't work well for the movie at all. And especially did not work well for the movie at all because that's really what it, to me, felt billed like. I'll tell you what he didn't want. He didn't want that production assistant walking into a shot. <laughs> <laughs> for more. Yeah, good <laughs> Sorry, um, Christian. <laughs> yeah, that movie wasn't as bad as it is, as I think some people no, make it out to be. It, it really wasn't, but it was a really a little bit of a bait and switch. Like, you got in there and it was a perfectly fine movie for what it was, but... Uh, it's not what I expected at all. Like I I distinctly remember as I'm watching the movie thinking, what the fuck? Why? I mean, this is not what I was, you know, I was very much expecting a John Connor. We're going to see the, the hinted at movie in Terminator two. And I'd already sort of, uh, you know, blocked out in my mind, Terminator three. It's, and yeah, we got none of that. It's funny because it's kind of like star Wars. Yeah. In that the originals came out and obviously Luke Skywalker was the hero. Yeah. But once the prequels came out, you realized that the overall saga as a whole was about the rise and fall and then resurrection of Anakin Skywalker. Like, yeah, Luke had a part to play, but but the overall series was about Darth Vader. Yeah, I could very easily see that being the thing. Um, so, but but this one was was a much much less publicized you know i mean you can kind of see like especially if you look at the 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 promo shots from the phantom menace where it shows anakin in the desert and then you can see a shadow and it's it's the vader silhouette like you kind of know from that point forward that everything is is geared up toward him becoming vader and then when you put it together with the original movies it's like oh yeah that that makes sense but with with terminator it was like seriously they were just like they were like, look who we got as John Connor. Yeah. Look who we got as John Connor. He's in the movie for like 40 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, maybe longer. He's probably in the movie for longer, but... No, I, you know, I, I very much was thinking that John Connor was going to be the, the main character, as in the, the character we follow the most in that movie, and that, but it's definitely not how it went. And I distinctly remember thinking that in the movie, like, well, this is not at all, you know... Okay, we're seeing the future, but it's not at all the future that I wanted to see. Yeah. So, um, all right. So we're going to put that link up, um, in the show notes. And the only other thing, um, that we're going to talk about is 
Uh, we mentioned uh, a while back that we would cover some gaming stuff. Um, I actually, uh, thanks to my friend Sean, uh, just acquired the Settlers of Catan as well as most of the expansions for it. Um, haven't played the expansions. I've actually played Settlers of Catan a few times. Um, Eddie has not. Nope. Um, although I think together at some point we're gonna put together a little uh, little gaming day and and we'll we'll break them into to Settlers of Catan. Yeah, we'll have to get that shot and uh, and do it. Uh, anyway, if you're not familiar with it, it's it's a really it's it's about an hour long game. Um, three to four players to start with. Um, there's an expansion available if you want to expand to five or six players as well. If you can't find, uh, I mean, if you don't know what it's about, you don't want to go because it. These games aren't cheap; they're thirty to forty bucks a pop. Um, and so, if if you're not really sure you want to invest in the time, there's a great series that Will Wheaton does um, on YouTube, and it's actually called Tabletop. Maybe we'll post a link up to uh, one of the first episodes of it because he does actually play Settlers of Catan or Catan. Um, with uh, with some other folks, and it, it gives a really good overview of the game. So if if you're you think you might be interested, but you're not sure, check out the tabletop episode. And if you think it's for you, man, go to your your local game shop and check it out. If you don't have a local game shop, uh, you can order the games on Amazon yeah. uh, very easily. Um, anyway, check it out. Um, we're going to, and we're gonna have a lot of fun doing it. I think so. Yeah. Anyway, that's whatever for this week. Uh, I'm Matt. Eddie. Hi. Hi. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Go out and play some games, watch some TV, have some fun, embrace your inner nerd. Later.